You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, reports of the California exodus turn out to be greatly exaggerated, but clicks on the turnstile of people moving into the state are way down during the pandemic by about 40%, according to today's California report. After regional news and weather, an interview with departing public health officer, Dr. Scott Kellerman, and chaplain Norris Burks shares tips for the December doldrums. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. There's been a lot of talk and analysis about how so many people are fleeing the Golden State to find greener pastures somewhere else. But a new report shows that since the start of the pandemic, there hasn't been a huge exodus out of California. However, fewer people have moved here. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. The research was done by the California Policy Lab, where Natalie Holmes is a research fellow. She's one of the report's authors and a PhD student at UC Berkeley. I live in the Bay Area, and, you know, everyone knew someone or talked about someone who was moving elsewhere. But the new research shows the number of people leaving California to other states increased by just 12 percent since the start of the pandemic. That's not so different from years prior. What's different about the pandemic period is that, you know, again, while those exits kind of continue to tick up, it's not so dramatically different than what that rate of increase was before the pandemic. Entrances, though, really went down substantially. In fact, the number of people moving to California dropped by nearly 40% during that time. Evan White is a co-author of the report and the executive director of the California Policy Lab at UC Berkeley. There's really not so much a a change in Cal exodus as there is a change in, in Cal entrances. He says every county in California has seen a drop in people moving in from other states since the pandemic began, and population matters. For instance, California lost one of its house seats for the first time in its history this year after the 2020 census found the state's population growth slowing. It's also a matter of how many federal dollars come into the state that's based on population. On the other hand, population loss isn't necessarily bad for all purposes. So if we're worried about housing costs, for example, people... Uh, leaving some of the urban areas where housing costs are very high would potentially cause housing costs to go down. White says the report shows what's happening, but not why. He says that's a question for future research. For the California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. After waiting five months, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti finally received a hearing before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on his nomination to serve as U.S. Ambassador to India. Garcetti answered only a handful of questions during the meeting, which was lightly attended by committee members. As expected, the mayor was asked about his response to sexual harassment allegations made against a former aide, Rick Jacobs. I want to say unequivocally that I never witnessed nor was it brought to my attention, the behavior that's been alleged. And I also want to assure you, if it had been, I would have immediately taken action to stop that. Garcetti said that as ambassador, he would focus on the rights of women in India. And he described the country as a nation that is vital to the future of American security and prosperity. The Senate panel adjourned without a vote on Garcetti's nomination, which will come out at an unspecified later date. 
As we've reported, during the pandemic, California's Employment Development Department, or EDD, has been plagued with problems that have left hundreds of thousands of unemployed people furious. Now, as KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer explains, Modesto Congressman Josh Harder wants legislation to hold the EDD accountable. Long before the pandemic, the EDD had been criticized for its outdated computer system and overall inefficiency. But last year's economic crash laid bare the agency's complete incompetence. Unable to answer calls or process claims, it temporarily waived eligibility requirements, resulting in billions of dollars of fraudulent claims being paid. Now Modesto Congressman Josh Harder is proposing legislation to withhold federal money for salaries and administrative costs until the EDD cleans up its act, eliminates the backlog, and pays legitimate claims. The bill is only an idea and has a long way to go before it reaches the president's desk. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. And the James Irvine Foundation committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. The 2028 Summer Olympic and Paralympic Games in Los Angeles might seem far off, but planning for the multi-billion dollar events are well underway. Recently, LA City Council approved a key agreement with Olympic organizers, laying out the city's responsibilities during the Games. They include boosting police, fire and sanitation services, and getting an insurance policy that covers things like natural disasters and terrorism. And when it comes to what kind of competitions will play out in LA, the International Olympics Committee has released a preliminary list of endorsed sports. Some traditional Olympic sports were missing, while newer additions like surfing will return. With more on that, here's KCRW's Megan Jamerson. Skateboarding and sports climbing also made their debut, alongside surfing at the Tokyo Games this past summer. All three are slated for the 2028 Olympics. Officials say these sports were hugely popular with younger viewers, and their return shows a commitment to innovation and recognizes the deep roots these sports have in L.A. Missing from the list of 28 sports are boxing, weightlifting, and the modern pentathlon. These sports have just over a year to prove to the International Olympic Committee that they've made certain changes. Weightlifting will have to show its doping problem is under control, IOC officials said, while boxing needs to be more transparent about its funding. And modern pentathlon needs to replace its horse riding event. This comes in response to widespread criticism after a German coach hit a horse that refused to jump a fence at the Tokyo Games. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson in Los Angeles. The IOC will take a first vote next February on sports that will be featured in the LA Games, but the final list of approved competitions will come sometime in 2023. And staying on sports, here's what happened at Madison Square Garden in New York last night. Here's Curry for the record. It's good! That was the call from Brian Anderson on TNT. Golden State Warriors star Steph Curry set a new NBA record for three-pointers made, 2,974. Curry talked about the special moment after the game. And it was just 
exactly what the commercial said. I thought about nothing. I just let it go. And then after that, the emotion started to kick in. So it's a pretty special moment. Like I shot it. I backtrack. I saw my pops over on the side. Saw my teammates going crazy. Felt the whole buzz of the whole arena. Ray Allen, the former record holder, was at the game and congratulated Curry on his achievement. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, December 15th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk tomorrow. In regional news, the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce announced this afternoon that Victorian Christmas has been canceled for tonight. The downtown Nevada City event was to take place from 5 to 9 p.m., but has been canceled due to snow and icy driving conditions. This Sunday, December 19th, is the final Victorian Christmas of the season. Sunday's event is scheduled to run from 1.30 to 6 p.m. The Union newspaper of Grass Valley reports today that Nevada Union High School officials have installed half a dozen portable toilets on campus due to recent destruction and vandalism by students in the school's bathrooms. The vandalism stemmed from recent social media trends in which students are encouraged to vandalize and steal from school bathrooms. The Union reported that the total cost of repairs district-wide is nearly $100,000, and further repairs are needed. We need the time to get the bathrooms fixed, then they will go away, Principal Kelly Roden said of the portable toilets. My hope is we will not keep the porta-potties, but it all depends on the behavior of the students when we open up the bathrooms again after they are repaired. And a correction from last night's news. The KVMR Evening News stated Tuesday that the City Council of Nevada City had appointed a new police chief. The story was incorrect, and we regret the error. Turning to regional weather, a winter storm warning remains in effect until 10 a.m. Thursday. According to the National Weather Service, mountain travel tonight and Thursday morning could be very difficult to nearly impossible with whiteout conditions. In the Tahoe area, heavy snow and strong winds expected overnight with snow accumulation of 8 to 16 inches and up to 28 inches above 7,000 feet. Wind gusts of up to 45 miles per hour, with Sierra Ridge gusts over 100 miles per hour. Thursday, midday, the storm will start to pass, partly cloudy and cool in our region Friday and Saturday, with rain and snow returning Sunday. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mixed snow and rain, with snow levels rising to 2,000 feet and winds of up to 20 miles per hour. In Nevada City, a low of 34 degrees tonight with possible snow accumulation of 1 to 3 inches. Tonight in Grass Valley, periods of rain with a low of 36 degrees. Thursday in Nevada City and Grass Valley, steady light rain in the morning with showers in the afternoon, highs in the low 40s and a low of 33. In Truckee tonight, 8 to 12 inches of snow expected with a low of 25 degrees and winds of up to 25 miles per hour. Thursday in Truckee, early snow showers with an accumulation of less than one inch, then some sunshine in the afternoon, a high of 31 and a low of 13. In Sacramento this evening, rainfall of about half an inch likely with winds of up to 30 miles per hour and a low of 44 degrees. Thursday in Sacramento, partly cloudy with a high of 51 and a low of 36.
Next up, News Director Claudio Mendoza talks to departing Nevada County Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman about the challenges of being the public face of the county's pandemic response. Nevada County announced this week that a new health officer has been hired. Her name is Dr. Sherilyn Cook, and she starts on January 1, 2022. She will replace outgoing health officer Dr. Scott Kellerman, who I now have the pleasure of speaking with. Dr. Kellerman, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Claudio. It's been an interesting year, and one of the joys is getting to know you. Thanks. Thank you. I have a lot of questions, so I'm going to get right into it. First, why are you leaving? Well, when I was hired, um, I was hired for a year. That was it. I was interim. So I was you know, actually working at a, at a reasonably full-time position, but my tenure was just for a year. So the idea was that they, toward the end of this, this year, they would do a search process to find a replacement that would be permanent, somebody who's willing to um, assume the role of public health officer and do it on a, on a regular basis, longitudinally for several years, which is really what this county needs. So I served my term, and it was a good term, and I enjoyed it immensely. There was some challenges along the way, but I enjoyed it immensely, but my term's over. And I'm moving on to other things right now and making the way for Dr. Cook to come in and, and replace me. And I would have to say that um, public health and the board has chosen well. She's a good fit. I've heard whispers that Dr. Cook isn't going to live here. You live here and have lived here for some time. Do you think that her not residing in this county will affect her ability to do the job? That's a hard question. I, I think she has to get to know the county and she's agreed to do that. She will be coming up here. Um, on a regular basis into the county. I'm not convinced you have to live in the county in order to um, discharge the duty. Uh, Dr. Rick Johnson, the one who preceded me, uh, was from Alpine County, and he he um, he did his job remotely. I, I think serving the county remotely will be a challenge, and uh, from what I understand, Dr. Cook is, is willing to come up here on a regular basis to get to know people. You have to get to know people in order to... Um, know what, how, what makes the county tick, and then how you can approach it in a way that brings um, public health is essentially bringing health to the public. And if you don't know the public, it would be difficult. And she's agreed to do that. She will get to know this county and the people. I know that you are generally a very upbeat person, and I've never heard you complain about anything. But I have to ask, were there any parts of the job that were difficult? Uh, asking hard questions here, Claudio, and the answer is yes, it's been tough. Now, it's not like I haven't dealt with hard times. When I worked in over in Uganda, I, we deal with people, um, with rebel groups who've committed crimes against uh, humanity, and we were able to sit down over a cup of tea and talk about commonalities. Um, we deal with Abafumu, traditional healers. Some people call them witch doctors and find commonality, uh, a harder side in sub-Saharan Africa, I've been beaten and left for dead. And But these are clear and present dangers. And here, the, the harder the challenges have been more subtle. And it's been, it's been hard on the soul. Some of the, there's never been any credible threats, but there's been kind of, you know, we know where you live and um, we're going to be watching you and things like that that have been very difficult. And Claudia, you and I have talked to a lot of public health is you have to keep an open heart. 
and keep an open mind and you don't want to close it up simply because you're getting emails or you're getting phone calls that are um, kind of hard on your heart. Um, and that has been one of the more difficult parts of my job. I've heard that people have showed up at your home banging pots and pans in the middle of the night, hoping to keep you from sleeping. Is there any truth to that? It's kind of a half-truth uh, because they didn't actually, they got the address wrong and went down um, and it was a neighbor's house <laughs> who has a relationship with law enforcement. So I don't think the pot banging lasted very long. Has anyone ever threatened your life for the job that you're doing? No, there's been no credible threat. Nothing that should be reported. It's just this constant, you know, the subtleties that have been the hardest thing to deal with it. Um, you know, and just questioning where, you know, I think we should have dialogue and we're not. And, um, and how do you disagree without being disagreeable? And I think sometimes we have a hard time with that distinction. I don't mind people disagreeing with, with me. Certainly working in Africa is a whole different language, custom, tradition. And I roughly trod over all, a lot of traditions, and, and yet people are willing to cut slack and, and recognize that you're a fellow human being and, and are willing to engage in dialogue. I just, um, and I don't mind the disagreement. I, I do mind uh, being disagreeable. And it's not part of my nature, and I feel like it's not the nature of the people that are disagreeing with me either. I think it's, I think it's a hard way to go is, is to be disagreeable. You've mentioned in the past that you've been able to sit down with Native doctors in Africa, and despite having differences, you've been able to share a cup of tea and come together, in a sense. Have you been able to do something equivalent to that with mask mandate opponents or vaccine opponents here in this county? It's been a challenge, and I've said I've been willing to meet with um, my detractors and the people who take an opposing position. But the way I was able to do it in Africa, and, and I think they're more willing to do it, is um, we'll say we've got some issues that we disagree on. It's really obvious. Um, but can we just meet and get to know each other? And we'll put the issues off to the side. And we will have multiple meetings where we'll... Uh, sit down and maybe break bread together and have a cup of tea together. And then, um, and then we'll, uh, drums will come out and we'll do a little dancing together and then we'll sit down. And if somebody has raised an issue previously and after kind of breaking bread together, singing and dancing, uh, I remember one meeting where one of the Abafumu traditional healers says, what were, we, what were we arguing about? And, you know, and, and so he thought for a while, we cannot remember. We cannot remember what we disagreed about. And that's what we ought to be. And I think people, once they generally get to know each other, even though you have maybe different political persuasions or different medical approaches, that we have far more in common than we have uncommon. And we can, we can work from the commonalities to solve uh, the things we disagree on. An expanded version of the interview with Dr. Kellerman is available on the kvmr.org website and as a KVMR News podcast. If your holiday season is turning out to be more about grieving than gaiety, Chaplain Norris Burks suggests you give yourself the gifts of simplicity and grace. We're only about 10 days away from Christmas, which probably has at least a few of us wanting to skip the holiday season. 
I get it. If only we could hibernate until mid-January, right? But for some of us, the feeling is not just an aversion to the holiday hustle. The blues have come for us. That's because we are among those who have lost a loved one in the past few years. In 2020, I lost my best friend of 45 years, Roger Williams. He was like a brother, even closer. We shared everything from education to careers to family gatherings. Then, two months later, I lost my actual brother, Milton, to COVID. So, like many of you, I find my holiday bag full of grief instead of gifts. As a hospice chaplain, I'm privileged to work with bereavement counselors who have, over the years, recommended the antidotes for the December doldrums. I've shared those tips with many, and today, I share them with you. First, the counselors tell me that nearly everything the grieving person feels in the first year of loss is very likely normal. It's natural for the grief-stricken to exhibit low energy, flatline emotion, poor concentration, and a desire to withdraw socially. Even with that overwhelming desire to withdraw, many folks admit that they don't really want to miss the holidays, but they feel that celebrating so soon after the death of a loved one is disrespectful toward the memory of the one they've lost. So they try to avoid holiday parties because they don't want to be a downer, but still they see them as their duty to family or co-workers. I suppose that the social distancing rules might even make it easier for us to avoid that mandatory fun of the office parties, but we still feel distance from those who we love. My hospice advisors also remind me that it's okay for grieving people to limit their holiday participation to the most modest amount possible. Don't let anyone insist that we assuage our guilt or hurt by keeping Christmas in the same big way. Instead, follow the counselor's advice and find the simple way of doing things. No one says we have to do everything with everybody. Some folks find it helpful to place signs on their mirror that remind them not to overdo, overshop, or overcook. If this is the second or third year of your loss, you might be ready to restart the holidays. If so, I suggest begin them creatively. For instance, I plan to put a special plate at the holiday table for the ones I lost. Or perhaps we might dare ask family and friends to bring an ornament for our tree that reminds them of the one we lost. Encourage them to tell a story while they hang the ornament. Whether this is your first year in loss or your tenth year, there are some things that work for nearly everyone, even if they aren't grieving. These things include being clear with your family about what you want from them in terms of emotional support. Be clear because, as they say, mind reading is best left up to fortune tellers. Finally, when the new year rolls in, there are at least two ways to avoid the melancholies of January. First, volunteer somewhere. Since many people will limit their charitable giving to December, homeless shelters and kitchens often find it nearly impossible to fill their volunteer needs in January. Second, get away if you can, preferably to a sunny place. You'd be pleasantly surprised to find out how cheap January travel can be. Finding hope beyond your grief is the toughest journey you will take. My prayer for you is that you might begin the recovery process and find that next Christmas will again bring you good tidings of great joy. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's an encore edition of The Sages Among Us with host Keith Porter interviewing psychologist, author, and broadcaster Michael Axelman. And at 7 p.m., 
It's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Nevada County, sharing Better Together Nevada County, working to end homelessness in our community, offering landlords resources to be part of the solution. Information at bettertogethernevadacounty.org and Sweetland Garden Mercantile in downtown North San Juan. Retailing fall harvest supplies, irrigation and plumbing needs, seasonal recreation gear, and much more. Open 9 to 5, closed Sundays. Sweetlandgm.com or 292-9000. Dig it. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Have a safe evening.